I, uh, I was not made to be away from you guys for very long. Um, I'm really excited to speak on a mic from a self-professed person who just said, I'm sick. And I'm just like, I never really cared about getting sick. Like, I was like, oh, who cares? But now I'm like, little dude's going to catch it. <laughs> um, no, I don't, I don't actually care. Dude, dude, if you take the joke serious, then, then I can't make them anymore. Um, I'm covered by the blood. I'm going to be good. Uh, however, wash your hands, guys, because that will still happen. Um, <laughs> okay. Uh, so um, I have not. I did the math. And I might have done it bad, but I actually haven't come up here with the mic and talked to you guys as a sermon in seven weeks, um, which is crazy because the whole kindness fiasco where we did that for three weeks. Uh, well, I mean, God was moving, so I wasn't really a fiasco. And then I was gone uh, for all that. Plus, then my wife preached. And uh, I have missed you guys. I have a lot to say and already not a lot of time to say it because uh, I, I, I wasn't made to be away from you guys, but I also wasn't made to shut up for so long. Um, and here we are. Uh, so I, I love you guys. We're about to close out the Supernatural series, um, which, which makes me kind of sad. I always hate the end of a series. It's the weirdest thing because it's kind of like my baby. Like, that's how I treat every series. Like, I, I really pray and I really cry over these messages. And then it just ends. And then we all just move on. And no one ever talks about them again. But, like, I'm still thinking about them. It's the weirdest thing. Um, my uncle made a joke because uh, I told him I had to, we had to leave. We were in Utah. I had to leave Utah early. And my uncle doesn't believe in Jesus. And uh, he's like, why are you leaving early? I'm like, well, I have to get home and really just go over my message again and get ready. And he's like, why don't you just preach the one you did four weeks ago because they already forgot it. And I was like, that hurt because it's a little true. Um, <laughs> it hurt because it's just, just a little, right? But no, there's a quote that I remember from uh, my old youth, pa youth pastor. He used to say, I hardly ever remember the messages my pastor preached to me, but I remember the time he spent loving me. And so I do think that the message is one of the less important parts of a Sunday. And the more important parts is as a community, are we exuding the message with each other? Amen. And so I'm really excited to end this Supernatural series because we have a lot of things we want to go into with a new year that God is really moving in this city, I believe. But more so, I believe he's also going to begin to move in this church. I'm taking Eric Willis's prophetic word and saying this is a move will be a song for our church. And I'm just going to take it and run with it. Um, Aaron picked that song out. It's funny. He showed me the song. He sent it to me. And I was like, I think this song sucks. And then like... But, you know, when Aaron sends me a song, it's like the default position I have. Um, and then, like, I listened to it, and I was like, I really don't like this song. And then, like, it came on at one point on a random playlist, and I was rocking out to it. And I was like, what is this song? And I looked at it, and God was like, Aaron showed you this song a month ago, and you could have been rocking to it this whole time. And I was like, oh, oh, no, my heart. Like, like this is not the first time this has happened to me, and it probably won't be the last because I'm a snob when it comes to music. Um, but God is good. And uh, he keeps using me even though I suck sometimes. Uh, so thank you, Aaron, for being diligent. Uh, <laughs> And uh, he, yeah. Um, any other jokes I want to make before we start? It's just, it's been, it's, oh, okay, wait, I promised Isaac I'd make this joke. Um, so I have a son now. Um, and, yeah, I know, right? It's super cool. Um, I'm not ready. I still feel like I'm a baby. Like, there are, there are times where my son does something, I look, and I'm like, wow, he's already more mature than me. And that's not good, because he's 10 days old. No, he's not even 10 days old yet. Uh, but uh, so I'm really excited to play catch with him is what I keep telling people. Like, I'm so excited to play catch with my son. The problem is I can't find someone who will toss him back to me. 
All right, so we're going to get this message going. <laughs> we're going to get this message going uh, on self-control. Because uh, if I was throwing my child around, I would have none of it. All the parents are like, how could he make that joke? People always told me when you have a kid, you'll be so defensive. I'm not. The jokes have gotten worse. I'm so excited because now people are like, you'll learn someday. I'm like, no, I learn now. And the jokes are still funny. Um, God is good. But then again, he's more mature than me, so maybe he won't find them funny. Um, so we're talking on self Self-control and it's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. So if you're being loving the way that God calls you to be loving, then you'll never break a commandment from God. If you have peace the way that God calls us to have peace, you'll never walk into sin. Right, and that's what it means by against such things there is no law. The law, the rules, all these, oh, we're Christians, we have to follow this, 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 and this. No, when the Holy Spirit comes upon us, we become these things. And if we really walk according to this thing, we'll always walk according to who God has called us to be. Amen. Um, if you go back in time, uh, before they had states, they had cities. I mean, we still have cities. We're in one. Um, but our city is part of this larger state, and, and we have these unified police forces because the government is over all of it, and it's all, it's all running smoothly, some would say, and other people would say it's not, uh, but that's, you know, I'm not here to be political, uh, especially since I'm about to talk about a wall. And let me stress this enough, I am not being political. Um, <laughs> left or right, enjoy your side, but we're going to talk about walls for a little bit. Um, so <laughs> if you go back in the day, cities would have walls built around them. And the reason they'd have walls built around them is because the times weren't quite as civil. Again, people look and go, it's not civil now. It was worse back then where people were getting, villages were getting plundered and raided and, and villagers were getting murdered and all that stuff. And that doesn't happen. Like, we're not afraid that Temecula, California is going to mob up and come just take Vegas and start stabbing people. That's just not the way we have to live our lives anymore. Um, and, and, but back then they did have to worry about those things. And so around cities, they would have walls. And if a city didn't have a wall, it was inviting death upon its people. You read the Bible verses, if you go to the Old Testament, because some people, it's just it's not their thing. But if you go to the Old Testament, you'll read Bible verses about people standing at the gate. And that's talking about around the city. There were men who would stand at the gate, and you could not come into their city unless they approved you. Right? And these men were watchmen who protected the city and they stood upon walls and they stood in front of gates. And, and because back then it was vastly important because if you didn't have these things, you would die. You would lose your people. Your families would be taken. Um, when uh, Joshua fit the battle of Jericho, he walked around the wall and the walls came tumbling down and they took the city. Right, because once there were no more walls to protect Jericho, Jericho was defenseless and the fight was over. And uh, in, modern, in modern tongue, in Game of Thrones, that's why they had the wall. Um, I don't watch that, though. Of course not. It was a terrible show. Anyway, um, so I want to read you guys a verse. And the reason why I had to explain all that is if you go to Proverbs chapter 25, verse 28. It's the main verse of the day, and it is a man without self-control. is like a city broken into and left without walls. And so... When we begin to walk away from self-control, basically we're letting our guards down for the enemy to come in and take and ransack whatever 
he wants. Now, it's interesting if you think about that, because if you heard the Bible verse that says, guard your heart. Have you heard that verse? People say it all the time in church. You got to guard your heart. Self-control is how you guard your heart. Because self-control and the avoidance of the things of sin is what keeps my walls strong. But should I begin to surround myself by things I shouldn't surround myself? And should I consistently have conversations with people and actually receiving from people who I have no business receiving from? And as I begin to get involved and inundated in societies and cultures that teach things opposite to God, eventually I go, well, well, maybe they're right and maybe that's not quite so bad. And then one day you look up and the wall is beginning to crack because you're beginning to crack because your self-control wavers in the face of what you've surrounded yourself with. Yeah. And then one day your city crumbles and the walls break down and you see people say, yeah, I used to do that God thing, but, but not anymore. And it, and it came from a lowering of the walls. Yeah. But God is better than that. And God actually, with his Holy Spirit, begins to build the walls back up again. And not the walls of, oh, I'm offended with you and I'm going to let these walls build, but the walls of protection, the walls of favor. The Bible says that, God, your favor is like a, a hedge of protection around me. That's the book of Job. And so that favor, that wall, that city, favor from God comes from a man who is in self-control. A woman who is in self-control. Um, and I want to show you that for the next however many minutes and however many seconds. 38 minutes. We'll see. It's been a while. All right, dear Lord in heaven, I pray for every person in this room. God, uh, we pray to receive what it is that you've called us to receive today, Father God, that we would walk in true self-control, God. Self-control before you in the face of a society and a culture that would tell us that self-control is immoral, that self-control is imposing upon you things and restrictions. But Father God, we would embrace self-control before you so that we can live more fulfilled, more satisfied, and more complete lives, Father God. We thank you because you are the author of self-control in our lives, and that it is your spirit and by your spirit alone that we will walk in true self-control Lord, and in Jesus' name I say, amen. Um, so my son was born November 20th, 2019. And I've been really studying these, these sections of scripture, right? And so when the Bible tells us this is the fruit of the spirit, what it means is there's a root, and the root is the Holy Spirit. And so, oh, I'm a Christian, but I'm not really that loving of a Christian. Uh, well, then... There's no root of the Holy Spirit in your life, right? I'm a Christian, but I'm not very joyful. Okay, so you don't have joy? Well, the Bible says joy is a fruit of what's in you, right? And so if I plant an apple tree, apples are going to grow. And if an orange grows, what do you say? Oh, wow, I must have planted the wrong seed, right? And, and so when the Holy Spirit begins to come upon your lives, if he's really planted in you and you really know God, that means you'll begin to see self-control and peace and gentleness in your life. And Jesus says that no bad tree grows on it. No bad fruit grows on a good tree. But then how, how come so many of us have bad fruits? I'm not here to say you're not saved, but I am here to say it's always good what the Bible says to check yourself. Before you wreck yourself, the Bible doesn't say that, but it does say to check yourself. Uh, it does say to check yourself. Um, and, and that there's always a good question to ask, because when Jesus says narrow is the path, he actually means it. Yeah. Right? And, and I think maybe churches want to keep numbers, and so they're afraid to say, hey, oh, no, I know you don't really follow God, you don't really pray, but hey, you're saved. No. 
right? And, and, and so I'm, I'm looking at that. I'm taking that very seriously, and I'm really thinking on that. And then I look at my son, who has no self-control, and he is not saved. Pray for that child. Um, uh, so I was born insane, and I would see, some people got so serious, like, oh, saying it's, it's a joke, come on board with me. Um, my child is not saved. He doesn't act with self-control. He doesn't, okay, so he could have been born acting like me. Spoiler alert, he did. Or he could have been born acting like his mom, who was born saved. Spoiler alert, he did not. Um, so <laughs> he came out. First thing he did was open his eyes, which I thought was cool. Before he took his first breath, he opened his eyes, which I've never heard of that before. And I was like, my man is the man, right? He's going to take over the world. So we call him Titus because we're going to, a Roman conqueror. He's going to do this. Um, that's not why I called him that, but, but it's the joke. And I'm going to stick with it. But, but this kid cries whenever he wants to cry. He doesn't care what time it is, right? But that's what self-control is. It's, you know, Elder Nadia came over and watched him one night for us. And I was like, oh, did he sleep? And she's like, oh, no. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and so she was up all night because he cries when he wants to cry. I've seen this kid pee on his, himself, his face, his foot, his clothes, his mom, his dad, the doctor, the other doctor, the nurse. If you're there, he's aiming at you. He's killer, right? No self-control, right? He's sitting there thinking, I want to pee. Guess what? I ain't waiting. I'm not waiting until you cover me up. I'm going to pee. This kid went nine days without peeing on any of his clothing. It was awesome, right? So my, mo my wife, mom, wife, I keep confusing those two, and I think that's going to come up in therapy at some point. And thank you. Because um, that's just, it just, it happens all the time with no one else. I don't call anyone else babe except for my wife and my mom. And I don't know what that's about. There's some Freudian thing there. I got to keep moving though. Um, yeah, join the club. We're, we're all jacked up. Let's, let's be jacked up together. Um, he, um, no self-control. Uh, so we bought him an outfit, cute little outfit. My, my, oh, we, we's a stretch. My wife bought him an outfit. And she's like, which one? And I was like, I don't care, that one. And I didn't even look at the pictures. Um, and, and so it, it's a, it was a Thanksgiving Day shirt. And the shirt says, I'll have the breast, please, which is hilarious. Um, <laughs> which is just primo quality of comedy. Uh, also, whenever he is eating, he always puts his pinky up. Finesse. He's just a fancy little kid. And he is already more mature than me. He's going to have his meal, and he's going to have his fanciness, and he's not compromising society, right? Um, he's not an animal. He just pees on everything. Um, <laughs> And so he has never gone to the restroom with any one of his outfits. And then we were going to change him into the Thanksgiving Day shirt, and he peed. And it shot up over to the right and landed on the shirt. The shirt, the only thing we've gotten for a specific day. Everything else is you can wear anytime you want. This is the only thing he owns that's like, hey, it has to be this day he wears it. And he's like, got you. And just took it out. No self-control. Didn't care what mom thought. Didn't care how hard mom worked. She was sad. He's just, ah, you know, and he doesn't care. And he, there's no, absolutely no self-control. He doesn't say, hey, I realize it's 3 in the morning and I'm hungry, so I'll wait till 6. It's 3 in the morning. We're all up now because I'm hungry. 
right? <laughs> and what's so interesting and what's so funny about that is I look at that and then I look at the average person in America and I'm like, yo, how do we do this? <laughs> don't care what anyone says. Don't care what the rules are. I'm going to pee on myself, right? And so what happens is, is I think we're beginning to just maybe as a society and as a culture, as a whole, and I think I see it a lot in the church as well, like a child, we're beginning to demand everything else make way for us versus on the flip side, in the name of self-control, holding things back, growing and maturing a little bit. See, when someone says, wow, your kid has grown up so much, you know, it's like there's a reason why we celebrate when our kid walks for the first time. And when he uses the restroom by himself for the first time. That these, these levels of self-control, of learning to control his own body, right? There's excitement to it, right? Because now I don't have to carry you anymore because you can walk. We're going to celebrate, right? And, and, and I don't have to change your diaper anymore because you can use the restroom. We're going to celebrate, right? Like no one gives me a candy anymore when I use the restroom. But you best believe the first time my son does the potty by himself, it's candy, it's ice cream. We're going to celebrate. It's going to be a party for everybody, right? Uh, but but we celebrate those steps for a couple reasons. One, they show a step towards maturity. And as the child begins to learn more self-control over themselves, it begins to take the load off of other people. All right? And so I think with many of us in the church, because we refuse to grow, we refuse to learn, we refuse to walk in self-control, we begin to lay our issues on other people because no one around us can be a pillar because no one's willing to walk in self-control anymore. And so I'm seeing statistics like the pastors, 75% of lead pastors are watching pornography and addicted to it. And you're like, how could this be possible? But then I drove home from work and there was a giant sign and it was just naming your favorite website, right? And I'm sitting there and I'm like, we have so normalized these things that now I can go to a certain web page on Facebook and it'll be a group of Christians explaining why pornography isn't a sin. And that Facebook page does exist, right? And because we're in a society and we surround ourselves with people who normalize certain sins, what it's translated into is Christians conforming to the world, letting go of self-control because after all, I've got to be who I want to be. But, but when Jesus, he said, pick up your cross and to walk in self-control, and see, how we would define self-control, I'm just going to read off what I wrote, is it is the discipline given by the Holy Spirit that allows Christians to resist the power of the flesh. Or, let me dumb it down a little bit more, self-control teaches us to control our thoughts, our words, and our actions. I just had a conversation about this recently. Um, we, we have... We have talked, we have communicated. I've been very open about the fact that when we go through struggles, we should talk about it together. Uh, where on one note, we can't normalize our struggles, but on another, we can't be so ashamed of them that we hide them. Uh, because I've heard something really genius. Someone said, he goes, God's not going to change the you you pretend to be. He's only going to grow the you who's honest. Right? And so as long as we're still pretending we don't have issues, we can never grow. Because that's the issue God's working with us first, is being honest which is why next week we are going to talk about being vulnerable because I feel like it's a natural byproduct of this series. Um, but, but 
but we got to be real and we got to be honest. But then what happens is, is sometimes in the nature of being honest about things, we begin to shift. And now because I've been honest, you have to accept my struggle. And so then someone looks and goes, hey, but that, I know that you're being honest and I appreciate it, but this is a sin you can't do. And it's like, I just never should have said anything. And then we go back to our bubble. But, 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 but part of growing is that I'm going to communicate my issue, but I'm not going to normalize it. I'm going to grow in it. And I'm not going to say that it's okay to be this way, right? And so there's a common church saying across churches all over the nation. I love it. It's, it's okay to not be okay, but it's not okay to stay that way, right? And so it's okay to have struggles. It's okay to not be perfect. It's okay to fall short. Jesus said we're going to do it. But it's not okay to lay there and say, well, this is my identity now. This is who I am. I'm the dirt guy. No, I'm the guy who's going to get up and I'm going to dust off because I don't want to be the dirt guy. I want to be the guy who follows Christ, right? And so issues like that maybe are a little smaller because everyone in a church setting will go, well, of course pornography is bad. But then the church is so split on abortion. And whenever I have conversations with people about the topic of abortion, and I'll talk to Christians who say, yes, I believe it's okay, and I'll ask them, why do you think that? And, and, and the answer always comes back to something selfish. Well, well the mother shouldn't have to carry the load. Well, that's what a mother does. Well, you, right, I've never heard an answer about why abortion is okay that didn't also involve because of me. Because it's my body. But you're a Christian, right? And doesn't the Bible say that you die to yourself and your body is no longer your own? Wait, so, so how do you take that and say because it's your body? Right, and so what's happened is because this sin is becoming normalized in society, Christians who don't want to conform to Christ but want to stay relevant, they'll stay relevant and they'll call it self-control, but really they're denying the God who saved them. And so what's happening is society is normalizing. And when I say society, I'm also saying the church. The church is normalizing certain sins in the pursuit of having a bigger church. And But we can't be that way. We have to walk free because God actually gave way to freedom. And so uh, someone sent me an article recently, and they were saying, oh, this article points out these six verses in the Bible and explains why they're not talking about homosexuality. Homosexuality is not a sin. And so I'm looking at it, and I'm like, yeah, it is, though. Like, you wouldn't read those verses and come to any other conclusion. And I'm not saying that if someone has those struggles and those propensities, they're instantly on their way to hell. But I'm saying that if the Bible defines something as sin, then it's what it is. And it's time for us to walk, well, I was born this way. Well, guess what? I was born with an over over passion for sexual things and when I was in high school I was with girl after girl after girl after girl but that's also not okay just because that's my normal and that's the way that I am doesn't make it okay and just because our struggles are different doesn't mean we don't have to go to the same God get on our same knees before the same cross and say I was born this way but I wasn't born again this way and so we got to begin to rise up and be something different and something greater and something new because the Bible says you'll be a new creation and and i hear christians on the flip side they'll be they'll try to explain why you weren't born that way again it doesn't matter birth we the bible says that we were born fallen that's why jesus had to come the bible um there are three great transfers in the bible from Adam to us was a transfer of sin. From us to Jesus was a transfer of sin. And then from Jesus to us was a transfer of righteousness. 
there are three great transfers in the Bible. And we all have to go through that process in our lives because when we are born, we are born with a transfer of sin on our lives. And then when we get on our knees and accept Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, that sin is transferred onto our God who then in exchange gives us his righteousness. But that, defi- that means by definition that who I was born as is not who I will end as. Amen? That you can actually grow and you can actually be strong and God can actually move on your life and you actually don't have to make an excuse for your sin, but you can walk free of those sins. And just because you get around people who tell you this is okay, it doesn't mean that it is. And, and I've talked recently about even things as far as um, mental health. I I do believe the struggles in mental health are a real thing. We can't deny them. We can't avoid them. We can't say, no, you're not depressed. But on the same note, we do need to point people back to the God who says that if you have my Holy Spirit, you'll have joy and joy abundantly. But joy is the opposite of anxiety, and joy is the opposite of depression. And so in the process of sanctification before my God, my depression and my anxiety will actually melt off should I pursue my God. But so many Christians go, I'm a Christian, but I haven't. No, no, sorry. I'm a Christian, but I'll have anxiety my whole life. And I'm like, no, you can be a Christian who has anxiety. It's okay to not be okay. But it is not okay to stay that way. And there is a process we have to take if we want to find freedom. And there was a point in time where that wasn't a cuss word. But now freedom is because it implies I have to drop the things that I want to keep. And so I want to quote something from Bill Johnson. And he says, the closer you get to God, the less you can take with you. Who I used to be dies at the foot of the cross. Not because that person, well, actually, it is because that person was bad. Um, But not because God so desperately hates me, but because he loves me so much he gave me a better way. And that's what the narrow path is. And so if you're not at least attempting to walk in that better way, then you're not walking on the narrow path. God is inclusive in the scope of people he will bring into the kingdom, but he is exclusive in the way they will come into the kingdom. Anyone is welcome, but there is one gate. Anyone can come in, but there is one way. The kingdom isn't like Rome, where all roads lead to Rome. The kingdom is heaven, and Jesus says there was one path, and I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. That's Jesus who said that. That's not Pastor Wesley. That's not Paul. That's not Peter. That's not someone's weird translation. He says, I am, as in Yahweh, the way. Yahweh is the way. And that bridge was paved in blood. Amen. And so if I want to walk in this self-control, if I really want to be a person who loves God enough to walk in that freedom. Self-control is a power of the Holy Spirit that lets us walk in the full counsel of the fruit of the Spirit. Love, remember when I said that fruit of the Spirit, there's not nine different kinds of fruit on the tree that is the Christian. I've said this a few times through the talk. There was one fruit, and that fruit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's why I hate whenever you get into like a Bible study group and they go, which fruit of the Spirit do you have and which do you not? And it's like, that's not how it works. Um, (laughs) And so it's like, you look at it, it's like the the word fruit is singular. As in love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control is a single fruit. And when you take a bite, all of it's in that bite. Right? Like, you ever like ate like a hamburger and it was missing one of your favorite parts? And even though it was like a whole hamburger, it was still missing that something you wanted. That's, that's how that works. 
The fruit of the Spirit is the whole hamburger. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> if no one quotes that, I'm mad. No, I'm just kidding. Don't actually do that because out of context, that's ridiculous. Um, <laughs> but uh, with that in mind, I want to break down self-control uh, with three cuss words. Not really, but it's going to be like Christian cuss words. And then uh, one benefit we get from self-control. But that benefit is all-encompassing. Uh, here is one of the cuss words. Uh, self-control involves moderation. Moderation. It might as well be. Because uh, you, <laughs> you tell someone to walk in moderation, they're like, you devil, God said I will have more. And, I will, and it's like, oh, take a deep breath. When he says more, he means more of him. Right? And so let, let me clarify something as we're talking in Scripture. You won't find the Bible verse in the New Testament where Jesus says, my blessing is monetary. As in, nowhere in the Bible is the blessing of Christ correlated with money and financial gain. It was in the Old Testament because it was a theocracy, as in God was actually the king of the society. But now we're indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And since this thing, the reason why people couldn't get saved in the Old Testament was because their law with God was a fleshly law. The Bible even says that it gave them a heart of stone and made it impossible for them to come to heaven. But those people, God was showing us what it looked like. And so the Old Testament is a picture of what spiritually happens to us. And so in the Old Testament, when people would get blessed, God would actually pour finances. And blessing actually meant you're a rich kingdom, right? But in the New Testament, he removed the heart of stone and put a heart of flesh and indwelt us with his Holy Spirit. And just like he poured the blessings of finances on the old testament he poured the blessing of his presence on the new testament and it's actually the same picture i'm not saying you won't get money i'm not saying god won't give it to you i'm saying it's not the promise in scripture and you can't claim something to say i get the money because well the bible says blessed right here the word blessed means happy right and so when it says that you'll be blessed it means god will sustain you and keep you satisfied and if you need a bentley to be satisfied it's not god you're seeking right Again, there are rich Christians who are called by God to pour into the kingdom of God. And that is a part of a personal promise between them and God. That is not a promise on a broad scale. All Christians are called to be rich. No, he's going to come, and the Bible says destroy this world and bring a new one. So why would he give you riches that he's going to destroy? The riches he gives, like the Bible says, are ones that are everlasting. As in when he comes, he's going to pour onto you everything that you gained while you were here living before God in self-control. That will not preach. That is not how you get a Lakewood-sized church, but it is the gospel, and we want to stick with it and say that God is enough for me. Self-control involves moderation, Proverbs 30, 8 to 9. Again, this section of scripture, I love it because everyone who says, like, God wants you to be rich, this section of scripture says the most wise thing to do is to not be. Let's talk about it. Remove from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I, full, lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of God. What is he asking for? God, keep my life as a life of moderation. I don't want so much that I forget you in the name of having things. But I don't want so little that I'm wanting things more than I want you. God, let me have a life of moderation. 
And so to truly have self-control is to be moderate and to have moderation. And I'm not just talking about finances. I'm talking about, like, y'all, like, the reason why you always fail your diet is because you don't know moderation, <laughs> right? Like, I've, you know how many diets I have failed? Lack of moderation. You know how many times I'm like, I'm going to go to the gym and, like, I'm either going hard or I'm not going at all because I can't figure out how to moderate it and make it a part of my life without over-encompassing my life, right? Moderation is so important to the way we think, to the way we talk, and to the way we act. And the reason why when your bill doesn't make it, you question God is because your mind isn't a mind of moderation. And so your thoughts become doubtful because you're not comfortable with the moderation God is giving you. And the reason we fall into gossip is because we feel insecure about who we are. And so we have to, we have to balance that out by having conversations. And we're not going to moderate our lives and talk about just the things of God. We're going to talk about everything and fall into the sins that we really don't want to fall into. And we look up and go, how did I get here? There was no moderation. I love what John Bloom says. He says, um, whatever it takes, Lord, keep me desperate for you because I tend to wander when I feel my, when I, sorry, I tend to wander when I stop feeling my need for you. Paul was a man who was going through a lot. He had a lot. He was a big blessing. God gave him this massive ministry. He planted all these churches. And so everyone wants to be like Paul. Everyone's coming up to Paul. Paul was like one of the celebrities in the church, right, at one point in his life. And he says, God gave me a thorn in my side so I would stay humble. God kept me needing him because my life was not as moderated as it should have been. And so God brought me down a peg. Ravi Zacharias is one of my favorite Christian speakers in the world, and, and he has these back pains and these braces in his back, and they said he could fix them, and he said he heard God say, don't do it. Because he says that every time he gets up, he's reminded he needs to pray, and he felt like God told him, keep that thorn. This guy's traveling the world. This guy's one of the most peaceful, loving people I've ever seen in my life, and he keeps a thorn in his side to stay focused on God. I'm not saying that's what you have to do, but I'm saying... Are the things and the pursuits and the things going on in your life, do they encompass and do they take over? Then you're not moderating correctly. The only thing that we don't do moderately is the things of God. So we don't pray moderately. Pray unmoderately, right? Think of moderation as a balance. So put enough of the real life and your responsibilities on one side and enough of your joys on the other side to keep your life balanced. But when it comes to the things of God, let it be unbalanced and put your prayer life, and put your tithe, and put your, your evangelism, and put, put your heart for God, and your passion for him, and your study time, all on one side, but let me ask you, what deserves to be on the other side of the balance from the things of God? Nothing. Don't put anything on the other side. Focus on God. Amen. But outside of that, when it comes to moderation, we want to stay moderate. Think of Jack Higgins. This man wrote a book called The Eagle Has Landed. I've talked about him a little bit here in church before, but I always love bringing him back up. The Eagle has landed, sold so well. This guy made so much money that homie bought an island. He bought an island from book sales. Like, what does that even mean, right? This guy bought an island from book sales. And, and, and so, so a reporter comes to him, to his island, from books. Okay, uh, he comes to him, to his island, and he says to him, if you could tell your younger self one thing, what would you tell yourself? And he said, I would tell my younger self when you get to the top, there's nothing there. And so the biggest thing he took away from rich and successfulness was I wish I didn't do it because I'm lonely up here. Tom Brady, he's famous for all the Super Bowl rings. The night he won his sixth Super Bowl ring, 
He goes on record as saying, that night I sat down in my apartment with a six suit bolt ring on my finger and I couldn't think of one reason not to kill myself. These people pursue and pursue and chase and chase and they finally get everything they sought. But because there was no moderation in their life, they look up and they hate their lives because they gave up everything in the pursuit of something that was never going to sustain them anyway. Without moderation, you will fall into lack. You will fall into depression. You'll end up with your thanksgivings by yourself, sitting and looking down and be like, how did I get here? Because you sacrificed everything to get something and you're alone now. You know, statistically, one of my favorite sayings to say when it comes to suicide, which I don't like talking about it a lot, uh, but they say that suicide is the rich man's prerogative, right? So suicide is like something you get if you're rich because the suicide rates become disproportionately higher the more money you make, right? Because in order to get to a place where I'm making enough money, what did I have to sacrifice to get there? Right, And so the people who just give and they sacrifice and they get rid of everything because God wants me to be rich and they, they get to the top and like, and then I'll be a pastor someday and then I'll, I'll walk as a prophet someday and then I'll get involved in my local church. But you left the church in the process and you look up and you come back and you don't know anyone anymore because you didn't grow with the people that you were supposed to love. Yeah. Amen. Uh, a lack of moderation will destroy us and those who live moderate lives tend to be happier. That will not breach what self-control rarely does. Ready for our next cuss word? Self-control involves constraint. Self-control involves constraint. 1 Corinthians 6.12. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be enslaved by anything. See, whereas moderation is I do things that are okay to do, but I don't do it enough for it to destroy my life. Constraint is I could do this, but I'm not gonna. And so there is a balance. There are some things that you shouldn't do even though you can, and there are other things you should just learn to balance even, right? And so I wanna think about this. As an adult, I can drop this microphone right now. Isaac would be so mad, but I can drop it, and there's nothing he could do about it. Because by the time he got here, it would be on the ground, and I'd be laughing. Um, I could drop this microphone right now. I can get into my car, just in the middle of a message, not even explain myself to you guys, just like drop it and walk out the door, right? I can get into my car. I can drive to the nearest Smith's or Walmart because that's a little closer. I can go in and buy a whole chocolate cake, sit down and eat it. Constraint, <laughs> right? <laughs> Carl, this is your point right here. Take notes right now. Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> I can do that. I can sit down and eat that whole cake. I should not. I shouldn't give up on the church because I want chocolate cake and I'm unwilling to deny my own urges. What I should do is stay here. And the reason I use chocolate cake is because I really want chocolate cake right now. Uh, Originally in my notes, it said buffalo wings, but everything changed. I don't know what happened, Uh, but (laughs) here we are. Um, Chocolate cake, it's good. I want chocolate cake, it's amazing. Let's pray out, chocolate cake. Um, (laughs) No, but um, I can do those things, but that is a distinct lack of constraint. Here's the beautiful thing about constraint. Paul says that I can work out my body, but it is better that I study the scripture. And so what Paul chose, I'm not saying those of you who work out, you're a sinner, by the way. Some of you do that in the moderation thing. But Paul put working out in the constraint thing. And what Paul called working out was something I can't do because anytime I have the opportunity, God's called me to pray instead. But Paul was back in a time where they didn't have as much food and he was walking around a lot. So he was probably still a pretty healthy guy. (laughs) 
right? Um, even though he wasn't doing those things. He was throwing snakes into fires and getting beat up in prisons. Like, he's fine. Like, dude's chilling. Um, probably. Um, but what we see many times in the Bible is there are various verses in the Bible where you see wisdom and growth come from saying no to things that you can technically do. Right? And so when the Bible says, live a life worthy of your calling, it's saying just because you can't do these things doesn't mean you should because they're going to distract from who you want to be and where you want to go. See, if you look in Scripture in the book of Proverbs, King Solomon, the guy who said, I denied myself nothing, says that a king abstains from wine. I'm not anti-drinking. I'm not anti-pastors drinking. But what I'm saying is what, what, what Solomon defined was there was a lifestyle that kings live. And there was a level that if you want to go, if you want to go farther than the average person, if you want to step into something and step into the call, the level that you have your call, you're probably going to have to say no to things that you could have said yes to because they're not technically a sin, but they're going to distract you from being the person that you want to be. All those billboards that tell you you need this, overindulge in this, take this, take all of these things, come do all these things, go to this website and spend your life there. See these people that have put the signs? They're not doing those things because they have a business to run and so they want you to partake and overindulge in things that they're never going to overindulge in because they want to be greater than you and so we as Christians have to take that same mindset and just because I can do this just because I can go watch this just because I can go hang out here just because I'm tired and just because I do want to take a break doesn't necessarily mean that I should because there's some place I want to be and there's someone I want to be and there's something I want to do and I have a call on my shoulders and God said you will be this thing and so I look at the Bible and I say what does it take to be who God has called me to be because I have a path it's time for me to walk constraints it's a beautiful thing and the third point on my cuss word list uh, self-control involves saying no I read one somewhere that the older you get, the more important your no becomes. James chapter 4, verse 7. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Resist the devil. Say no to the devil. Say yes to submitting to God, and he will flee from you. I keep, I keep having the same temptation over and over, and I don't know why I can't break out of this cycle. It's because you're not saying no. Because you keep saying yes, and you can't break out of something you're saying yes to. You can never say no to something you're saying yes to, right? That, obviously. <laughs> Before you can say yes to the right thing, you first have to say no to the wrong thing. Because there's a person, again, there's a call I want to walk in. There's a person I want to be. And so I'm going to resist these sins because I don't want to be a part of the statistic. 75% of pastors are addicted to pornography. I want to be a pastor, but I want to be one of the 25. So what do I have to say no to? They say one in three Christians leave the church after a year. I want to say no to that. So how do I be one of the two-thirds that stays? What lifestyle do I have to live and what do I have to say no to to be who I want to be? See, these things aren't popular 
But no successful person you know in your life is overindulging in things that are going to stop them from getting there. Now, when they get to the top, they typically fall into overindulgence because they become depressed because they lost everything to gain that. So do it healthy. Say no to the right things. Constrain the right things. Be moderate about the right things. But if I want to walk in the fullness of self-control and be that person I want to be, it's time to say no. It's time to say no to those thoughts. It's time to say no to those words. It's time to say no to gossip. I tell people all the time, if someone will gossip with you about someone else, they see you as separate from them. You know the last time someone came to me and gossiped about Thomas? Years. You want to know why? Because they know I'll back him up before I listen to what they have to say. Because they so see I'm with him. They so see I'm for him. They won't have that conversation with me. Right? When someone sees you as for something, they won't gossip with you about it. And so literally, when you, someone gossips with you, you are now getting a conversation with yourself. What does this person see me as separate from that? If you want to be a part of the thing they see you as separate from, it's time to say no to something. Right? I love the way Craig Groeschel says it. He says, no matter what happens to you, you're always, it's always a review of yourself. You want feedback? Every action in your life is feedback. I didn't get the job. How come? Well, they must be after me. No, what, how, well, how come? It's not feedback about your performance. I got passed up for that, that, that promotion. Well, see, they just don't believe in what I'm doing. They just don't like me. Why isn't that not just feedback about how I'm carrying myself? These people don't want to talk to me. They think I'm hard to talk to. They're just judging me. Why isn't that not just feedback about how I come off when people try to talk to me? You are always getting feedback. But the problem is we typically push it back off on someone else. Say no to that. Receive feedback and become a better person. Become a stronger person. Become the person you want to be. I have learned something about my son. He show, I have always considered myself a very patient person. He showed me I am not. And that's feedback. I did not know. No one warned me that in the first 10 days of my life, I'll probably want to choke my child four times. And I have genuinely wanted to choke him um, because I just want to sleep sometimes, right? And so it's, that's feedback, right? I'm like receiving, and I'm like, it's because he's a brat. No, why can't I handle those three hours of crying without wanting to throw something against the wall? feedback and I'm learning something about me and patience it ain't fully there yet right but the fact that I didn't choke him feedback self-control um <laughs> right constraint right but saying no is what's going to get me to my yes and what are the things you want to say yes to then you got to say no to everything in the way of that amen I have been in church long enough like, I've been in, like, professional church where, like, here's the outfits you wear and here's how you talk and here's the people you interact with. And when you're on stage, this is how you communicate. And, like, you know, like, like professional church, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, and, and professional church, they no longer wear suits and ties, right? Uh, they dress like Travis. I'm just kidding. Um, it's because I always call Travis a hipster. Um, He's just like, why am I a part of the message now? And you're in the podcast. You're going to be everywhere, bro. Travis Montoya. Look him up on Facebook, Instagram. I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah, Travis Gregory Montoya, because just in case. There's probably more Montoyas out there. Um, you came back, bro. You came back to the church. That's your fault, not mine. Um, <laughs> um, I forgot what I was talking about. That's hilarious. I don't regret it. It's been, it's been eight weeks. I don't regret it. I don't regret anything. I'm done. I'm not really. Sorry, guys. I know you got excited. I do have one more point. Um, right. Professional. I've been a part of those church settings. 
long I, I totally forget where I was going with that. That's so funny. Travis, I love you so much. I guess it was just because I love Travis. So say no to the things. <laughs> say no to anything that will get in the way of the yes you really want to say. Right? So practically saying, I'm going to use a really easy example, right? I said yes to my wife. And the first thing I had to do was say no to a lot of other women. Not because a lot of women wanted me, but I'm saying like the way my eyes, the way I was checking things out because she's not dumb and she's sitting there like, no, right? Uh, <laughs> not not going to happen. Uh, so over my trip vacation, I went to Utah and I heard the story of how my great grandpa and great grandma got together. So apparently my great grandpa uh, used to be a bit of a player. He was married, had kids and was like just stepping out on his wife all the time. Um, she found out and she divorced him. Good move. Um, he was a handsome dude. That's the problem. And he, like, was very well aware. Um, none of, I got no Goddard jeans. That's his last name. Didn't get any of that. Because, like, I saw a picture of him young, and I was like, dang, what the heck? Hopefully my son picks up on some of that. Um, but during the process, he fell in love with who's my great-grandma, right, the one who I was visiting just then. And so he did all of his moves like he does in every other girl. And she looked at him and said, no. And he kept courting her, and he kept pursuing her, and he kept going after her, and she said no. And she wasn't, she wasn't looking to play. And the best part is he finally got her to go out on a date with him because after all the trying, he was rejecting a bunch of other girls. So she's like, okay, I'll give you a shot. And on their very first date, she told him, I'm going to Germany for two years next week. If you want me, be here when I come back. And she left. She didn't need him, <laughs> right? But he knew what his yes was. And in that process, he found God. In that process, he started going to church. In that process, he straightened his life out. In that, all these things. And my grandma, who grew up with her dad and knew the kind of person he was, said he never cheated on her once. I guarantee it, right? Because he set for two years, set his focus on a yes, and said no to anything else that would get in the way of that yes. Do that with your call. People have asked me, how did you become a pastor so young? And this isn't like now, but when I was first becoming a pastor. When, we, when me and Thomas and my wife, anyone else who's in the intern program with me? It was just us three of us, right? When we started doing this intern program in a church, and we, I realized who I wanted to be, I buckled my life down. I said no to things that if I told you, hey, don't do that, you'd be like, you legalistic. And uh, maybe, but I knew who I wanted to be. Me and Thomas did ridiculous things like at night we'd switch phones with each other so the other one couldn't look at anything at night. We had group chats. We had conversations. We were making sure people were praying. We had just like, we were pushing each other to greatness in a way that was radically uncomfortable. We yelled at each other. We kicked and screamed. We headbutted with each other because we wouldn't let the other one compromise who they said they wanted to be. My wife has been that same thing to me. And then a man named Anthony Morgan came into my life and was that thing to me. My boy Ron, who swings by here now and again, became that to us. And a friend of ours who lives in somewhere, uh, Colorado, uh, he became with that too. And all of us really pushed. And all of us really held each other to a standard. And then as we began to move churches, two of us of this little group, kind of distance off and started doing their own thing. But three of us fought to stay attached. 
Three of us fought to stay connected. And the three of us is him who's running this church when I'm not around, me, a lead pastor, and then Anthony, who just became a youth pastor out in Texas at a mega church. And, and the three of us, like this weekend when I was going through some issues and I was going through some things, um, I called Anthony because I, I needed to be held to a standard. And I needed, I need, sometimes you just need someone who's not always in your face. And to hear from someone in Texas, word for word, the same thing that someone here, Thomas, would say to me is like, oh, oh, dang it. You know, uh, we said no to being comfortable and we said yes to being accountable. We, we said no to chasing our sins and making excuses. And we said yes to being better. And after we would all get up and we'd preach and then the other ones would come and be like, here's all the areas you sucked in. And it was uncomfortable because I just wanted to hear I was the best. But it's only made me a better speaker. And I'll never forget that when I was leading a small group, um, I really got hooked on to adult videos. And I was running and leading people. And my boy Anthony found out. And he walked over to me. And he said, let's go on a walk. And we walked around this park for several hours. And he ripped me a new one. He let me know exactly what he thought of me. He did it in love. He stood by me. But then the, the, the situations flipped and he fell into his own sins. And we didn't back away from him. We embraced him and we stood with him and we encouraged him. And when he was trying to walk away from his call, which he's fully in now, we told him, you can't, you have a call. And when he wanted to run and when he wanted to quit and he said it himself, I'm just looking for an excuse to walk out the door. We grabbed him and said, too bad, you're not going anywhere. And he could have though, he could have left, but he said no to that desire and said yes to the accountability. And he became the man he wanted to be. And he found the wife he wanted to have. And he has two children now. And he's getting involved in church. And he's pouring into all these people. He's doing everything. He said, God wants me to do this. And before he left, he grabs me. And I think he grabbed you too. And he thanked us. He thanked us for standing by him. And he's like, I'm only going here because you guys stood with me. And I feel the same way. I look at him and I'm like, I'm only leading a church because of all the times he kicked my butt. Because all the times he kicked my butt. Because of all the times when I would have said yes to something I shouldn't have, people stood by me and said no for me. <laughs> and so I want to end with one last thing. Self-control will set you free. Actions do not save us. But there is a freedom that comes from self-control. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6 to 10. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while as was necessary. Did I put the wrong verse in? I might have. I'm going to read this instead. I put 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6 to 10. And I could have been wrong. It looks like I was. And knowledge was self-control. And self-control was steadfastness. And steadfastness was godliness. And godliness with brotherly affection. And brotherly affection with love. I want to point out that in this list was self-control. So self-control. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective 
or unfruitful in the knowledge of your Lord Jesus Christ? Do you feel ineffective? Do you feel like you're not walking in the fullness of what God's called you to do? Well, the Bible says self-control will keep you effective and will keep you fruitful in what God is calling you to do. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, this is the main thing I want to sit on. Be all the more diligent to make your calling and election sure. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fail. Let's keep that there, actually. See, what he's saying is self-control will make your calling and your election sure. I meet Christians all the time who doubt that God loves them and doubt that they're saved. Well, the Bible says that self-control will make your election sure to you. It tells you you're in the right place. It tells you that you really are listening to God. And though the self-control isn't what saved you, the self-control gives you a peace that you actually are free. So self-control gives us the freedom to enjoy a healthy lifestyle, right? Because how much self-control you all need for your diets, which I need a diet coming here soon too. It frees us to rest in the security of good stewardship. You ever meet those millionaires who like don't tip? You ever hear about them and you're like, oh, they're the worst? In one point it's true, but the reason why they're bad tippers is because they built a lifestyle of saving at any cost and that's why they're millionaires. So they built a lifestyle of I'm going to steward above all else and now they have cash for days. Christians need to be more blessing than that, but there's a reason why. And so when, when they reach the top, a lot of them will keep the qualities that got them to the top in the first place, right? I mean, I've heard of millionaires. I've heard of people, you look at people like Keanu Reeves who's loaded and the dude lives in like a, a normal house, right? And you, you like look at these major stars and they're, they're living normal lives. They just happen to have paparazzi around their normal house, right? Because they've kept the lifestyle that got them there because that lifestyle will sustain you. And that's what stewardship is. Again, who do you want to be? Steward that. And if you do it godly, when you're there, it'll keep you there because you built the lifestyle that stewarded who you are. Steward the calling of pastor on your life if you feel called to be a pastor. That way when you are a pastor and that's just the life you live, you'll naturally just, you'll continue and you'll sustain that because of the lifestyle you lead. Same with those of you who want to start a business. For those of you who want to write, for those of you who want to get in the music industry, for those of you who want to get into politics or who want to be a lawyer, there's a stewardship aspect. And if I walk in self-control, I'll feel more free to walk in my call. It frees us from shame and guilt that comes from a lack of control. How often have you wanted to pray, but you held back because you know how bad you were? We got to throw that mindset away, but on the same note, if you didn't fall into that sin, you would have had an easier time going to God. Self-control gives us peace. <laughs> Self-control gives us strength. Self-control helps us be more assured of our calling before God. It frees us from the restrictions of addictions and overindulgence and frees us to love God and his people and to live the lives that we truly desire to live. I, I can't stress this enough. If there is a person you want to be, if you look and be like, I have dreams and I, and I want to I wanna help people this way or I want to touch lives this way, you're only going to get there through self-control. 
Well, God can do all things. Yeah, the first thing he does is teach you to control yourself. And then he takes you there. Who do you want to be? Take it to God and lay it at his feet. Take it to people around you and lay it at their feet. And let people guide you there. Be teachable. Be correctable. Be excited. Be passionate. Don't let the fire wane. Because again, if thoughts are a part of self-control, if my thoughts stay passionate and they stay excited, that's a part of self-control. But many of us, we're excited, and then we're down, and then we're excited, and then we're down, and God is moving, and God hates me, and I'm a sinner saved by grace, and I'm just a sinner, and I am not saved. Wait, yes, I am saved. Yes, God is good. Oh, no, I tripped, and I fell in this way, and now God hates me. And there's no self-control to our mindset, and we're just going to ride this roller coaster, and it's just... You're on top of the world. And then the drop happens, and then you're going everywhere, and there's a loop-de-loop, -loop and you're falling apart. And <laughs> that's, I feel like, so many of our lives. Uh, but self-control would help us avoid that. Because self-control doesn't jump on the ride in the first place. Amen? God has called you. God will sustain you. And God is pointing you in a direction. And if you feel like you're not achieving what God has called you to do, typically the answer is either you're not being patient enough and it's coming or you're not walking in self-control and you're not ready for it. But accountability will get us there. And actually walking in that. Dear Lord in heaven, I pray for every person in this room. I pray for dreams and goals and aspirations, Father God. I pray for desires and wants and callings, God, and, and the things that people want to do for you and through you and in you, Father God. God I pray that you would, you would pour a passion on those things, but a passion that is tempered with self-control, Father God. God, a passion that is done justly and correctly before you, God. I, I pray against defeat. I pray against feeling inadequate or not enough, Father God, but I pray in its place there would be breakthrough and excitement, Father God. We love you, Lord. We praise you. And in Jesus' name we say uh, amen.